This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix and helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Welcome to episode 52 of InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from our new 11FS recording studio in Finsbury Avenue. On today's show, we are looking closer at talent and hiring in InsureTech. So in 2008, 178,700 people worked in direct employment for an insurance company. But by 2018, that number had decreased to 94,200. The number of people in the sector might have fluctuated, but the UK insurance industry still stands as well the largest one in Europe and the fourth largest in the world. And with the rise of insurtechs all over the country, the industry is changing and in need of new talent. So we want to take a look at how an insurance company can go about finding new talent and attaining it, as well as a look at the current state of the insurtech industry. And to talk about this, we're joined by two fantastic guests, Sophie Winwood, Investor Anthemus. Thank you for coming back again. No worries. Glad to be back and great new digs, guys. Love it. I know. Do you like our studio? I really do. A studio. Please please just don't tell us we need something on the walls because we've had three podcasts. We're trying to explain why you can't put things on the walls in studios. Fair enough. Okay, fine. But I'm glad you like it. I'm glad you appreciate it. Um, And we're also joined by Sebastian Dezulueta, director and founder of Market Minds. Great to have you with us. Thank you. You nailed the name. Thank you very much. I'm going to give away, uh, you know, a trade secret here. I write them out phonetically on my notes. (laughs) Um, Sebastian, can you quickly tell us about Market Minds before we get into things? What what is it that your company does? Yeah, um, absolutely. We're a global events uh, media-based platform in the insurtech space. Um, We work with corporations and startups. Um, We connect them to deliver insurtech for good. Uh, And we operate in London and Africa. Brilliant. Um, So let's get on with the show. Uh, let's get off with a bit more context, shall we? So in an ever-changing industry, it's vital for insurers to attract the right talent. The same is true of insure tax. Um, in Deloitte's 2018 millennial survey, 28% of respondents said they expect themselves to stay with their current employer for the next five years. Uh, but only 4% of millennials said that they wanted to work in the insurance sector. And to me, that actually feels quite high. Um, <laughs> I wonder if there are people who already work for Deloitte. Uh, so <laughs> hey. the, the point being that attracting and retaining talent is is a huge challenge here. That's the point we're making. You haven't got an awful lot of people saying they want to go into insurance. Um, and you've also got a lot of people who say when they do go into a sector, they tend to stay there. So you haven't got a lot of opportunity to bring people across from adjacent sectors. Um, why is this? Why, why don't people want to work in insurance? Yeah, so I, I was thinking about this and I think, and, and like, you know, I work in insurance, okay? So let's just start with that. It has a real branding issue, doesn't it, really? Like, no one looks at insurance and thinks, oh, it's a really cool, sexy industry. If you're at a house party and and someone comes up to you and you're like, cool, I work in insurance, then they'll probably turn around <laughs> and find someone else <laughs> to talk to. Has happened to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I worked in audit and then I worked in insurance. Like, I'm not That's a good house party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I definitely agree with you. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, basically, insurance does seem to attract kind of the wrong type of talent for the future. Future is all about being lean and flexible and open-minded. Um, just three things the insurance industry aren't. So I think they therefore would naturally struggle to just get good young people that are excited about their futures. It just doesn't feel like the right industry 
to attract those kind of people. And is the same true, do you think, you know, based on both of your personal experience of insure tech, or does that tend to have a greater appeal to, I'm not going to use the word millennial because I think it fluctuates so often, but to <laughs> maybe younger people who are either going into like their first career or, you know, you know, still at that, that early stage in their careers? Yeah, I, th- I think what we've we've seen from some of our portfolio companies is that actually if you create the right culture and um, kind of position the company as disrupting this kind of, um, you know, old industry that, that really kind of needs a bit of a change, then you can uh, attract the right people who are, are really driven to kind of make a difference, make an impact and um, kind of be part of a disruptive workforce. I still think it's it's harder than other industries like um which it's harder than fintech i know that you kind of have an eye on that as well as insurtech i would say for sure and i th- i think the reason is is that fintech now is kind of permeated into the mainstream right so we all have a monzo card revolut card um you know use free trade whatever nutmeg but we're yet to see that kind of consumer um brand in InsurTech really break through. Um, and then there's the other thing, which is there's a negative connotation with insurance. Generally, people are um, not happy with the user experience and the interaction with insurance is a lot less regular than, in, than the interaction with your, say, banking or financial services. So all of those taken together mean that people don't have that same sort of want and interest in the insurance industry um, in the same way that that people are kind of really interested in the fact that banking is changing and changing for the consumer. And so while I would say that, you know, there are some really, obviously really cool companies out there that are attracting good talent, it's still harder than other sort of startups. So you'd say InsurTech is easier, it's easier to attract talent in InsurTech than for a legacy insurer, but harder than if you're in FinTech. Correct. Well Seba- summarised. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is a good <laughs> summary. Um, Do you agree with that, Sebastian? Yeah, broadly, I think uh, it's a real sort of dichotomy, isn't it, between the type of, I mean, some of the InsurTech founders and some of their teams are really, really impressive, have absolutely no insurance experience. Um, great tech backgrounds um and we actually just hired a guy who's got experience in building and scaling tech and i you know was very upfront about the insurance bit but he was excited about you know the fact that we are working with companies that are trying to change everything about the industry um so yeah i think in a in a way you're getting some of the best talent going to insure tech and i think it is the fastest or it is hiring the most uh millennials (laughs) out of any sector in technology. Oh, interesting. Um, which is very exciting. Is there, is it harder to go into InsurTech than FinTech in the sense of, um, as consumers, we all have an understanding of, of retail banking and retail finance. You know, you may not be, you may not have a, an economics degree, you may not, you know, have studied finance related subjects at university, but you necess- you sort of almost have a, the school of life will help you there. Whereas with insurance, it's, something that not only is it, I would say, probably harder to understand, a little bit more complex maybe than like, you know, certainly the the, the very basics of retail banking, but also young people don't have touch points with it. So it's less, I mean, to go back to your point, Sophie, but I'm just thinking about the fact that you have tech experience you can find, experience of retail banking you can find because everybody's got a bank, but is that one of the problems with insurance? It's harder to get the experience younger. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, I mean, commercial, if you're talking about commercial insurance, you know, like marine, property and casualty, that kind of thing, instead of like retail B2C stuff, um, 
you ha- will have no way of finding that out unless you have sort of family member or a mate working in it. It's just not going to happen because it is incapable of advertising what it does to the outside world. Very good at advertising to people who already work in the industry, uh, but to the outside world. And it is hard to explain that, you know, SpaceX gets its rockets insured in Lloyd's and tell that to the millennials because, you know, that is quite cool. Um, so, yeah, no, I think the... Um, on the commercial side, you're kind of going to split it between those two. Um, and therefore, unless you're looking at sort of B2C stuff, it's it's almost impossible to communicate what's going on in the bigger sense. I mean, what what sort of, when we're, we're talking about this quite generally at the moment, but what sort of, if we're talking about those those young people who've probably just come out of university, maybe they've done a master's, maybe they've done a grad scheme somewhere, let's, let's you know, put it at that level. What kind of jobs in InsureTech are actually sort of available to them? I mean... I would say that probably, I would say off the top of my head, marketing and HR are probably available to people with that level of experience. What else in InsureTech is, is is appropriate? I imagine you have some views on this, Sebastian. Uh, well, I don't know. Have you seen anything? I, I, I yeah, wouldn't... I think um, in terms of the other roles, um, roles like customer success, mm-hmm. so an account management. So it's difficult, again, on what we were coming, what we were talking about earlier, which is insurance is very difficult to understand. It also kind of has its own language mm. a little bit. And so when you're talking to insurers, you need to know the language to kind of interact with them. But I think um, sort of these insurtechs that are, because a lot of insurtechs do interact with insurers, um, even if they are kind of D to C, like being able to manage that process, like interact with the insurer and, and kind of run the account, I think could be an interesting role um, for for a graduate because it would be a shame to say that the only roles are sort of marketing, potentially sort of finance. But I think there is a more commercial stuff so you can get stuck into. But that's kind of what I want to get at as well because people kind of assume that if you're going into, if you haven't got a financial services background and you're going into a finance company as a graduate, you can either go on a grad scheme or you can do marketing or HR or customer service because, you know, you don't need specialised skills to start at a junior level there. Yeah, um, I think definitely the most obvious one is marketing. Um, and having a grasp of how to communicate messages on social media like, is so important. And obviously, that that I find that changes on a monthly basis. You know, it'd be great to hire a new grad every year because they're just more increasingly savvy with different platforms. Um, so, yeah, and then business development. Like I've actually seen a lot of graduates who've just been hired straight out of university who are bright, you know, have you know have an appetite to to make sales who are basically selling to selling b2b services to insurers and you know so far i mean a few get worn down because it's such a long sales <laughs> cycle but you know there are interesting opportunities there I think that's an interesting point as well, that um, particularly on the sales side, you may not know a lot about insurance, but if you have to sell the product, you're going to very, very quickly learn an awful lot about an insurance product. Yeah, and you know, people buy from people Mm. at the end of it. And so if you're, you know, just a a good salesperson or have, you know, good intuition, you're able to make friends, I think you can do very well and you'll, you'll learn about, you know, the products. And also a lot of these insurance companies, when you're talking to them about machine learning, data algorithms, they don't know. So... You know, I think you can kind of learn together and that actually is what the industry is good for, which is, you know, kind of collaborating on that sort of sales process. So I don't think it's you don't need to be intimidated by learning all the sort of bells and whistles of of what you're selling. And, and I think um, there's an interesting point to be said about culture as well. So, you know, you, you may, FinTech maybe your first, you may have heard of FinTech, maybe not so much of InsureTech, but if you go and look at an InsureTech website, as I was doing earlier today, I seem to spend most of my days, not least one InsureTech website, they, um, the culture that they 
promote, I would say, is very similar to a lot of those of the more successful fintechs. You know, this one, for example, had two dogs on its About Us page. Right. It's About Us page, which kind of had, you know, uh, I'm X and I'm head of business development or whatever. And then, but little things like that are the sort of things that we know do work with people who are who are looking for a company that they think might be the right fit for them, particularly if they are of that age, which has kind of been put off the large organizations by, by everything else that's happened around them. Um, how do, does an insurance company begin to, to compete on that level culturally? You know, because I would say insurers are probably even behind banks when it comes to accepting that culture needs to change to be attractive to new talent. Where, where do insurers start with this? Does it start with kind of talent and HR? Does it, does it start with puppies and beanbags? I mean, I don't think so, but... Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, I think banks went through that, right? Which is like <laughs> innovation theatre, right? It's like, oh, we've got this shiny innovation lab with like puppies and um, pool tables. But I think um, I think insurance could do a lot to look at financial services and learn from the mistakes and, and the things that work from them. Um, I mean, the first thing is to say that it's got to come from top down. Um, it can't be just a, an innovation department on the side trying fun things out and, and then not seeing any real um, outcomes. Um, so having someone, I mean, a lot of the banks brought in chief digital officers, you know, having someone that's more tech minded um, at the forefront, I think is is one point. Another one is is kind of flexibility of um, your role and being able to try out different things and encouraging um, employees to say if you're, um, you know, in, in the underwriting team or, or, you know, doing that, that is a very specific job that you're concentrated on. Why not second to an innovation department or a scouting department for three months, see what's out there, get a feel of what technology is out there, and then you could come back into your department and say, oh, actually, I've seen all this cool stuff and maybe we could start doing things a bit differently. It's, you know, one way to look at it. Yeah, and I think it's so easy to say that insurance companies are terrible at uh, on the cultural side. But, you know, I think the best cultures give autonomy to their employees. And actually, in a lot of the vast ways of the insurance sector, you do get a lot of autonomy. You know, you manage your own portfolios, you have lots of clients, you, do, you trade in lawyers, you do that all independently. Um, and that is very appealing. And, you know, most, I would say most big insurance companies are inundated with CVs from bright graduates who want autonomy to be well paid and, you know, for it to not be too stressful and hard work, which it doesn't have to be if you don't want it to be. So in that regard, it is actually quite successful at that. I would say that. And that's ultimately, in a way, why I sort of, I did a broking internship and stayed there because you leave the office and they let you do what you want. As long as you bring the business in, it doesn't matter. Um, so that that's really appealing. But I think definitely from, you know, if you're talking about the two dogs side, you know, miles away from that, miles away. But does it need to do that? I, I really don't know. I think it's an interesting point, the, the point you made that, you know, on the one hand that people are saying they don't want to go into insurance and, and for whatever reason. And then on the other hand, you're saying that big companies are sort of inundated with applications. Yeah. Is it applications from a certain type of person? Yes, definitely. And is that part of the problem, perhaps, that insurance companies need to maybe diversify the type of people they're attracting? Yeah, I mean, I like to think our company's quite fun and cool. And we interviewed this guy the other day, and uh, it went really well. And then he said, actually, you know, we met up and he said, you know, I just quite want to do a bit of broking. You know, apparently you just have great lunches and it's quite chilled. <laughs> but, you know... That appeals to a certain type of person. That's fine, you know. Uh, and in a way, it's nice that everyone's not, you know, listening to podcasts 24-7 and uh, cycling everywhere <laughs> hey, and hey, being hey, a classic whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> What do you mean? Everybody should listen to podcasts 24-7 all the time. 
Um, that's another interesting point when we talk about culture is this idea of, you know, long lunches. And Lloyd's has, you know, very deservedly, I think, been called to account for some of the culture that is perpetuated in its within its walls or within its market. Um, I would say that, you know, saying that, that that's another problem there, of, of course, is that if you're looking to attract diverse talent and the perception is still there is a lot of long lunches, you're putting people up before they even get there. I mean, Sophie, how do we how do we encourage I'm looking at the, the portfolio of companies you have, you know, how do you how do they encourage a diverse range of people to apply? How do you make sure that that perception is challenged? Because I don't think there are actually that many companies that will give you long boozy lunches yeah. anymore, actually. <laughs> yeah, we actually um, had an event last uh, last week and we had um, one of our portfolio companies, a company called Humanizing Autonomy, uh, speaking about um, how they attract talent. So they're, um, I think they're sort of 18 people now and they've got 50-50 um, uh, team and that is both the full team and the tech team. As oh, well. you mean g- g- gender, gender split? Gender, yeah, split, gender. This is kind of specifically on gender, but they, they, you know, they have other aspects of diversity. And they were talking through things like they went through and they reviewed all of their job descriptions, um, and were thinking about one, the title of the job, and 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 how that attracts both male and female um, candidates. They were saying stuff like, you know, when they have like Python Ninja, like that's a very male Mm. kind of title so making them all kind of very um, factual and then um, in terms of the description so women tend to not apply for something if they don't have all of the um, criteria whereas men tend to kind of back themselves. And... Oh, that's, that's very well known, isn't it, that women will underestimate their abilities and men will overestimate their abilities. Exactly. It's statistically proven over and over again. If right. anybody out there hasn't read the book Invisible Women, by the way, you absolutely have to go and read it. It is an explosion Stuff. of da- data biases, <laughs> yeah. biases, bias around the world and it's terrifying, but also yeah. it explains this much better than I can. Yeah, exactly. And and I think they took some of that and were, you know, so instead of having, you know, sometimes you see and it's just like loads of different requirements, it was a bit more broader, it was a bit more sort of descriptive and actually that meant that they ended up getting a lot more um, female um, applications than men. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's, it's just, you have to just be proactive about things thinking about this um, and in terms of thinking about your diversity as being you know you have technical debt and that's like a really bad thing you should think about diversity debt as well in your company and really starting from the the beginning and building out your workforce I think is you know I mean, and particularly if you're looking at startups, it's actually proven, the numbers prove that the more diverse your team is as a startup, the more likely you are to succeed, Mm -hmm. Um, the more likely you are to make more money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it it seems like a... So you've got, got, on the one hand, you've got the insurtechs who probably can do that, who can start at the beginning and go, right, this is our... This is what we're going to go out there and do. And on the other hand, you've got the incumbent insurers who actually have not only to try and attract new talent, but also to try and shift the talent base they've got. I imagine, and Sebastian, correct me if I'm wrong here, but a lot of larger insurers in your experience are mostly male, mostly older. Uh, on the staff side, is that... No, actually, that not... no, no. We did a survey about this and actually there's um, more women working in insurance than any other sector of finance. Are they work- Which levels are they working then at? Actually, surprisingly senior. Okay. Um, so, But it's this has changed recently. Okay. So like, there is definitely a, a change happening, but it's still very, very low. Um, I mean, we so we run this. Sorry, there's more. There's more in insurance than any other sector. So there's sort of six yeah. percent in insurance yeah, and four yeah. in banking. <laughs> yeah, or something. it's not much, but it's, yeah. it's surprising. You know uh, yep. how many um, sort of women do work in, in the insurance sector, but 
it, it is obviously it needs to be improved and like levels of seniority and that and board board representation but um we we run a a big conference insurance 3.0 every year and um, we run an initiative called 5050 and it's all about getting uh, we're trying to get 50% female speakers and attendees every year and we got 47% this year which was like it was 25 last year so it's a big jump but we sort of tracked and spoke to every, pretty much every single company, consultant, big insurer, whatever, who was talking about women in insurance, and no one was interested to support the initiative. It was all, oh, yeah, lovely, you know, this is great, yeah, we're big supporters, and then they sort of go dark. Um, Interesting. And I think ultimately a lot of this is false, you know, and people are talking about promoting it. And you might have a really great marketing campaign that attracts the right women into your industry, but as you were saying earlier, if you don't sort of tackle the fifth column, you know, internally, they're just going to leave. So you have to sort it out internally. You have to offer senior opportunities, fast track opportunities. Otherwise, you know, it's it's going to be a, a redundant process. And I think the industry just needs to stop. It's a bit like innovation theatre, you know. There's a lot of talk mm. about it. There's, there's a lot, lot of, there's of doing. A lot of gender theatre out there as well. Massively, massively. Yeah. I, I think the other point, an important point as well, of course, is gender is is one um, aspect of this. But as I mentioned earlier, you know, a certain type of person, you can have female applicants who have exactly the same background, approach, and attitude as male applicants. Yeah. And they're, they're probably, um, I would imagine, rarer. I don't know, but imagine rarer. But you also, I think, that where maybe insurtechs succeed, as you both have hinted at already, and insurers are still struggling, is the diversity of background, the diversity of experience, the diversity of degrees. And that sort of diversity as well is, is also hugely important. I mean, you can have 50-50 women and men, but if they all went to the same school, the same university and studied the same subject, yeah. it's, not, it's not that diverse. Especially when your usually end customer base is an extremely diverse group of people, then if you are building a product to cater to that, then it's useful to have people from different backgrounds. I mean, that's an interesting point. Do, do, yeah. you, do you think that, from your experience, both of you, um, companies need to think more creatively about who they're hiring? I remember having a conversation with somebody once about AI who worked in AI and I said, how do you, how on earth do you hire enough people to help you build these products? You know, how many uh, astrophysicists or robotic scientists are there out there? He said, oh, I don't look for those. I look for people who think the right way. So I hire doctors of philosophy and history graduates who have gone down a different tangent. Um, so, you know, how do you, how do you do that <laughs> in insurance? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's really difficult, right? Like I, I can sit here being an investor telling all my startups that you should really think outside the box and expand your search and, you know, think about all these things. But at the end of the day, they're running a business and they, they, they're thinking about all these different things at once. Hiring is obviously probably the one of the most important things. And, the, you know, especially in the early stage, the people that you bring on could dramatically impact um, the course of the business. Um, but I think the the problem is, is that, if you're a young company and you're growing quickly and you need tech talent, you're just going to, you know, and, you know, interviewing is tough and it's time consuming. And so I think, and, and no one's really cracked it yet. No one said like, oh, actually, the way that you think about it is X and you can do this. So everyone's kind of experimenting with different things, chatting to people. Um, at Anthemus, we've just um, started up a, a sort of talent pool. So we allow our portfolio companies to exchange talent within. So it's kind of like a, a, a bit of a community, mm. kind of easy sort of share, like safe space. <laughs> I've got one of these. Have you got one of those? Yeah, yeah exactly. Let's Trade, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's, you know, trying to make it a, a little bit easier, a little bit kind of less friction because um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult.
I, th- I think we can all sit on our here on our horses and say, you know, we should make it. You know, companies should make more effort to hire diverse people. But actually, also there is just a shortage of talent, like full stop, um, for a lot of a lot of these roles. Particularly, that sprung to mind when you said technical. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if either of you know of any programs inside maybe the larger insurers which are bringing people on and sort of upscaling them. I, I mean, upscaling, <laughs> upskilling. <laughs> Sophie upscales companies. <laughs> I'm talking about upskilling people. Um, but I'm thinking about how traditional graduate schemes have to change. Yeah, there's been, a, I know a few people who've gone to the General Assembly. There are big programs to um, sort of upskill um, people who are clearly showing an aptitude for you know, innovation and technology. So I think that's definitely going on, but I think it's probably very much on an ad hoc basis. It's not a mass program that's um, sort of infiltrated the the industry. But there's huge companies now who are doing sort of on-demand data scientists, you know, Oxbridge graduates who come in and teach you about data for a year or two and then you can hire them permanently or not. And there's a lot of that. So I actually don't think there is a shortage of talent in a flexible economy. You know, you can work with a company, you know, we we work with um, developers in Nairobi. It's a two-hour time difference, um, extremely efficient, extremely good, um, you know, very, very good value for money. Um, and, you know, what? How, why is that? A problem to work with that when they're not just because they're not full time and I actually think I get you've got to have core competencies and you want to build that out internally but you can outsource so much stuff um, you've just got to develop a formula for for finding the right outsource people. I think it's that rather speaks to the, the stat I started with it said that the number of full time employees in insurance has shrunk um, or had shrunk over that 10 year period and I, I agree that there are certain, you know, roles and, and, and spaces that can be more easily and more efficiently filled. And in fact, in ways that are both better for the employee and the employer by, by outsourcing or using, you know, part-time or flexible time workers. But what do we do about the fact that nobody, and this is a UK survey, but nobody in the UK wants to join insurance. Like, we need to change that as well, surely. We can't rely on being able to outsource to people in Lisbon and Nairobi and, you know, Rio de Janeiro, particularly the current state of, of things. So how do we get younger people to view insurance or insurtech as an exciting career. Do you do outreach with schools, Sebastian? Do you do outreach with universities? or With universities, yeah. yeah. So um, all of our events, we speak to... Um, so we run a conference in Nairobi called Africa 3.0. We work with all the major universities there. And in London, you know, Oxbridge, CAS, all those uh, sort of leading universities that, that have sort of insurance actuarial um, skill sets and, and programs. So yeah, definitely. However, I think the zeitgeist is definitely just going with tech. So I actually don't think it's a bad thing that all these all this great talent is going into insure tech because ultimately they partner with insurance companies. So in a way, they're still coming into the insurance industry. And I don't think you can you can sort of shift the tanker, as it were. Um, it's better to just. You know, if you can't beat them, join them, I think. And uh, I think tech is, is a great opportunity for the sector. Yeah. I think, I mean, I understand that you as a, as a company founder have to pick, you know, pick carefully where you operate. But presumably there's an argument for going outside of those places that just specialize in insurance and actuarial courses and, and maybe going to some of the other universities where there might be other skill sets that, that could be, as we've discussed, applied. Presumably, there's that there's that opportunity as well. Yes, I, I should think you're very right. We've had a few conversations with those kinds of universities, but I would say that I think almost none of them feel that their students would be interested. See, that's the problem. I yeah. think I think if you were to go out there and speak to you know any of any university, 
And if you were to pitch it in the right way, I think you could make insurtech or insurance appealing to to a group of them. And I think that that's, to me, that's that's very frustrating blindness on the part of the insu- yeah. of the universities because, and you know, and there are case studies here in this office to whom I've explained insurtech and insurance to, and they've gone, oh my god, that's really interesting. In fact, I've you know recently pulled my boyfriend over to the dark side. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> nice work. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, my point being that it, I think it depends how you tell the story, and that's frustrating to me that here that universities don't think that insurance would be appealing just because they don't teach an insurance course. You know, I would think you know, math course or something like that, but also any kind of research based course. Yeah, no, it definitely is changing with um, you know deeper customer integration and stuff like that you know you you really now if you're an engineer um you know you can get a top job as a sort of insurance underwriter you know on the sort of construction or engineering side or whatever it might be because it's becoming more and more important to be able to engage with end customers and risk managers and that kind of thing um you know in a more sort of transparent business culture so so now if you've got direct expertise in an industry you know, if you come from the world of, of shipping or aerospace or whatever it might be, you know, the insurance industry, um, you know, lap up people like that because you you can talk to customers in a sort of, you know, peer-to-peer way. Um, and, yeah, uh, an area that could be interesting to discuss is like cyber because uh, that is attracting people with proper technology backgrounds. I was just about to say, I think there are aspects of insurance that are like, is sexy to... Maybe it's too strong a word, um, but like <laughs> interesting. Let's go yeah, with interesting. Yeah, yes. um, and and yeah, like cyber is one of them, right? It's an emerging risk. It's really interesting. It's not just kind of old actuarial methods because we don't know the data. It's super important. That's part how kind of terrifying it is that no one really understands the risk. Um, but there are things like you know Munich acquisition of Relayer, which is all IoT and um, you know uh, kind of data around that. There are really interesting exciting parts of insurance um and you know the smart home i know that's not really kicked off as much as we thought it was but you know there are aspects around there that are more sort of not just we're here when things go wrong we're more sort of being that supportive um helping you manage risk and that may kind of work better in terms of messaging with people. I think there's also something to be said for, you know, exactly to your point, but capitalizing on uh, people's interests in new technology. So drones would be one, you know, think about how many people out there who, who use drones on the weekend, they might do it for fun, they might do it for sport, they might do it because they love photography. There are people in this office here who have purchased drones because they're photographers on the weekend. You know, how do you, I think, I don't know how to do it, but I think that there is... You can appeal to those through a job description, right? Like, do you love drones? Do you want to be able to fly your drones more places? Do you want to have that drone, like, protected? Mm -hmm. Then, you know, why not come and work for somebody who's trying to do that? Yeah, I think Flock do really well out of that, right? Mm. Their whole branding is... Very drone millennial geeks. drone geeks like you <laughs> they, know they won't mind us saying that i'm sure ed won't mind me saying for that sure. <laughs> <laughs> but but the same but the same could be said for for pets you know pet insurance or travel insurance do you love to travel do you wish you were covered better cycle cycle fanatics of which there seem to be an awful lot i know you, you mentioned earlier sebastian but there really are a lot of cycle fanatics out for there. sure <laughs> <laughs> We've witnessed it, yeah. yeah um yeah, so I think I think you know it, it, it's communicating them. So um, to pick up a little bit on what you said earlier, Sophie, about I really like I was really interested in the idea that you have of this kind of 
it's like a talent market. Um, but how do you how do you leverage an ecosystem? So you have an ecosystem, right? You as an investor, you have your portfolio companies, you know everybody there, yep. you can connect the right people to the right people. You also know the, the incumbent insurers. Yep. How what is the best way to leverage that to both attract talent and to retain it, you know, when, as you mentioned earlier, having a kind of swapping scheme if you want to, like, yep. keep somebody within the family but they want to move on. Um, how, how, else do you, how else can you leverage that kind of network? Yeah, um, so a couple of things here. I think one is um, just ensuring that everyone kind of understands that they are in an ecosystem and they're participating in an ecosystem. Um, we've actually started work, um, looking at... Um, stuff around network science so um, taking a more data-driven approach to understanding people's connections and the strength of them and then how we can leverage other people's connections to kind of get to the end person that that you're interested in. I know like a lot of people are looking at that at the moment I think it's it's an emerging interesting space we're sort of playing around with um, but I think it's um, it's it's difficult right because at the moment it's 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 mainly done around uh, people's relationships and just keeping on tap of knowing like, oh, well, this person is thinking about moving and we know that, that these kind of companies are hiring. Um, so really just being very um, emerged in our companies, understanding what they're going through, their needs, and then being able to take that information from one company and then understand that in the kind of ecosystem of our other companies, both insurers and startups. But it's it's a, it's difficult because there are so many moving like pieces within the, the ecosystem. Is insurance still quite a um, people-based industry in that I know X, he might be good for you, that job you've got open, or I know Y, you know, I'll recommend her to this. Is there still a lot of that going on, personal connectivity? Totally. It's actually pretty much the foundation of our you know, how we build our company. It's all, you know, peer-to-peer, you know, can I work with this person? Can I do business with this person? Which ultimately, I think, what most business is about. You know, once you get through all the, the websites and the glittering and all of that, you know, is about, are you two going to get on? Can you do, can you work together? Um, but I just think insurance is just a bit more upfront about that. So, and I think that's what that's where it's so interesting watching tech companies, that culture clash, work with insurance companies. But it seems to be, so far you know, a welcome, welcome change, breath of fresh air. And there are a lot of people actually you meet big decision makers now who are quite young, who are sort of, you know, CEOs or whatever it might be, who who are really welcoming it and pushing for, you know, more more engagement with tech companies and, and all of that. And presumably part of what you do, Sebastian, is helping people who don't have that in getting in. So if you're running an event or going to university, you have somebody come up to you and says, right, I I buy it, I want to go work in insuring drones, how? Is that part of what you do then facilitate an introduction to the right people, the right areas? Yeah, we do a bit of that. <coughs> uh, but we also have partners who mm-hmm. we work with on that because ultimately that's not our core competency. Mm-hmm. But um, we definitely want to work with people who who can do it. But I actually think it's crazy that, you know, you, you have to know people or get to know people to, to get something done in, you know, like the city or in somewhere like that. I think really it should all be sort of democratized and it should be whether or not you're any good. Uh, that it comes to the forefront. I think that does come to the end. I think the cream always rises to the, the top. But if you're a startup, you need deals and you need to get those deals quicker than they're happening. And I just think the way that it's just the old school way of doing things is is just slowing down pace, slowing down innovation. I think that's a, it's a great shame. And I think London needs to, or the city or uh, mm-hmm. the older industry just needs to get better at that, frankly. 
Yeah, we won't even start talking about procurement because you know, we'll be <laughs> here till next year. <laughs> Maybe the year after. Um, so what do you think that the different players can learn from each other here? So, you know, insurers, um, you know, they do they do get people on grad schemes. As you said, they do have, you know, a high level of applicants, but maybe they are the wrong sort of applicants for the future we're going into, you know, where you need diversity, creativity, agility. And on the other hand, how do I'm, – I'm, I'm looking at, you know, Sebastian for incumbents and, and Sophie for insurtechs, but that's by no means the way you have to answer this. <laughs> and the second part of the question is obviously vice versa. You know, what do insurtechs learn from from incumbents who who can attract a particular type of talent um, that is that is interested in insurance rather than people who might go to insurtechs who are interested in tech or drones or whatever? What, what can they what can they learn from each other here? Oh, no, not me. Um, what <laughs> I've asked they... a tricky question. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, well, I, th- I think, you know, quite a lot, basically, is the quick answer. I think insurance companies can obviously learn about the power of social media in, in attracting talent. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of young people go on LinkedIn and whatever it might be and see what's going on and, and get excited. I get LinkedIn messages all the time of people saying, oh, it looks really cool what you're doing. Don't really understand it, but can we have a call or something? Um, so there is a real uh, power there. That, that should be harnessed and obviously most insurance companies are, are are very very bad at and I think just don't even touch it because they don't want to look too boring and also <laughs> big big companies can make a mess of it very very easily and mm. it's a much bigger mess than you think it might be one wrong yeah. tweet and that's exactly and there's some huge marketing process so by the time your you know cool tweet has gone through the marketing process it's sort of way it's too late uh, so I, it's, that's that's a shame and I think they're, they're missing out on that um, and on the insurtech side well yeah, I, and and I think you know um, that it, people from insurance have a huge wealth of experience in uh, you know regulatory issues, um, in looking at historical data, um, and just having been in these markets for a very long time. Um, and I think the interesting thing is now you're seeing some of these very um, sort of high up people in insurance jumping into into startups because they do need these these. I mean, the, the big one this week's been Cover. Haven't Cover pulled two people, one from Money Supermarket yeah. and one from Admiral, I think? I can't I think quite so, remember. Yeah, but yeah. yeah and, the um, chairman of Lloyd's. The chairman of Lloyd's. Oh, yeah, yeah so he's got yeah. two yeah, jobs now. It's because he's obviously got spare time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's not a lot to do at Lloyd's. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, one of our portfolio companies, InsureData, just hired the head of client success from Allianz. Um, and they're kind of a, a 15-person startup, right? So um, I think there's... Um, there's two points here, which is it's awesome that InsurTech has been able to attract that talent out of insurance, but also that really demonstrates that InsurTechs need um, a grown-up in in the room sometimes uh, to be able to communicate with insurers, um, but to be able to really help with the nuances of the insurance market. Like you said at the start, it's bloody complicated and there are different people and you, you sometimes you need to know the right t- touch points within the organizations, um, the processes um, and how it all works. So there is for sure so much to learn for, from each side. And um, I'll finish on sort of a, a, a personal question. Um, you both could be classed as millennials, I would say. How did you end up in insurance? Oh, I don't... I, how did you get there? I'm looking at Sophie first. Um, so I was working in um, financial services M&A, so mid-market M&A. How um, did you get there? Start off an audit. And how did you get... How did you start off an audit? This is what I'm really interested in. Okay. So I, I oh, did, well, tell us your life story. Okay. <laughs> start at the beginning. Um, I studied biochemistry at university. 
so nothing to do with anything but of science talk and I basically came out and I was like I can't do this I can't just sit in a lab by myself it's and you know do an eight-hour experiment and nothing work um so I came out and I wanted to learn more about business my parents own their own company so I've kind of grown up around sort of entrepreneurial parents and they say that if you don't know what you want to do and you want to learn more about business you go and do audit um yeah, so I did that for for three years because you know you you've learned about balance sheet and P and L. I guess it's quite useful. Um, made some incredible friends along the way. Ended up in in sort of mid market M and A. Um, this was just like a, a side point. I remember being told that I had to go and um, learn golf. I've been. I was told that. Yeah, years ago. That's I was where told the that. Deals are done. How was your golf? Yeah, terrible, funnily enough. Um, so, And that was like, this is insurance, right? So I was like, oh, cool. This is a cool industry. Um, but I worked on one fintech and one insurtech deal. And I was like, okay, well, this is the future. Like, this is super cool. Why isn't more people talking about it? This was a couple of years ago before the sort of Monzo boom. Um, and that kind of led me to get really interested in in the industry and the sector and, and kind of want to be part of the disruption and the movement. See... Now, that's why I asked you the question, because that's a fascinating story and you didn't start off with either a finance degree or a desire to go into insurance. And here you are. Sebastian, how about you? Um, Zero desire at all. My (laughs) father was a broker. So you were like, I'm doing anything (laughs) but that. He's been selling it to me since I was about 10. And I eventually caved, having attempted to do other things, um, and did an internship with with a broker and yeah, as I said earlier, just they gave me so much autonomy. I was like, this is this is way better. You know, I was actually working in a tech firm and they were just really on top of me all the time, mm-hmm. you know, micromanaging. And mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't exist in that. So, and with, with insurance, it was different. And then I got bored of the way they did stuff. So I set up Market Minds um, and then it all sort of changed from there. But um, I, I, yeah, and I would say, yeah, I was thinking about leaving the industry altogether uh, but then when as technology mm-hmm. grew and the insure tech space grew, I thought, actually, you know, this is seriously exciting. Um, so I stayed and I'm glad I did. So, yeah, that's that's why I'm here. But you're another person who has maybe um, um, a diverse background. You did something else first, you learned from it, and then you applied what you had learned to insurance to create a third thing, which is where you are today. Indeed. I worked at a jazz club for about a month and then I got fired. <laughs> I mean, what we could also take from this is that your father may be a very good broker, but he probably shouldn't work in HR. Yeah. <laughs> what he made you do Definitely was do the not. Exact no, do not get him into HR. Yeah. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining me. Where can our listeners find out more about you, Sophie? Um, yeah, so um, my Twitter handle is at Sophie Winwood. Um, I also want to make a shout out. So at Anthemus, we are currently have 50 vacancies open. Five zero. Five zero wow. for companies specifically within, in, within InsureTech and risk management. So if you go to our website, anthemus.com, you can check out some of the roles there, including some of the companies that we spoke about today. Brilliant. Sebastian, how about you? Um, just Google Market Minds, you'll find us. Um, and yeah, I'd like to do a shout out as well. Um, we're looking for a head of marketing and content and uh, sp- specifically with video expertise. And we're starting to shoot a series of documentaries uh, in Kenya. So if that sounds interesting, please get in touch. Thanks. I'm sure that does sound interesting. I'm sure both of those sound interesting. So there you go. If you're out there and you're, you're looking to get into InsureTech, hit these two people up and they might be able to help you. 
Um, and you can find me, as always, at Sarah Kachansky on Twitter. That wraps up another InsureTech Insider. Thank you to my guests today, to Sophie and Sebastian. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at InsureTech Insiders. And if you like what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And please, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcast at 11fs.com. <laughs>